you guys noticed this, but our kids' ministry got to come in and watch those baptisms, and they all sat in the back over there. So uh, that was super cool as well. Welcome to week two of our Losing My Religion sermon series. Uh, before we dive in, I just want to say that our trunk or treat last week was awesome. Uh, we had over 4,000 people there, over 150 volunteers and gave out over 100,000 pieces of candy. It was literally like Jesus feeding the 5,000, except it was 4,200, okay? And the candy just kept multiplying. It was incredible. Uh, Here's some pictures of some of the trunks that we had. Uh, Beauty and the Beast theme. I don't know if you guys can tell which one's my favorite out of uh, all the trunks. There's the Kansas City Chiefs theme. Uh, Here we go. Here's another one. Uh, Mario Kart, and then kind of like... uh, fall festival vibe, Um, Stranger Things. And then this one over here is Legos and like superheroes. And they had like two little jails for the dogs. It was incredible. Um, Oh, that's Carol Berticelli on a quad bike. There's no reason why that should be in there. I just wanted to show that picture. (laughs) She's amazing. Uh, This is the Oregon Trail. Okay. Who remembers MS-DOS? Okay. And then here's the winner, Trunk or Treat. Uh, That's a pirate chef, Courtney, Adam, and Trevor. And then finally, um, that's me and Kofi Sotoropoulos. Uh, just so you guys know, you can set your DVRs to record tomorrow on Great Day uh, on Channel 26. Uh, our event will be on it, and I'll be, able, I'll be on it as well, promoting Prodigal Church to everybody who watched KMPH Fox 26. So. So if you don't watch Kopi in the mornings, uh, we're going to be on Great Day. Record it, DVR, watch it every every day. Kopi's amazing. So I'm just so proud of you. Thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for serving. Thank you for praying. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You're amazing. Last week, we began this series, and we explored how Jesus came to replace religion with relationships. And if you didn't, if you weren't here, we encourage you to go to our website, download on iTunes, YouTube, or um, uh, on our Prodigal Church Fresno site. We encourage you to check that out. It kind of sets the trajectory of where we're headed um, during this series. This morning, we'll explore law over love. I lied. Love over law. Okay, that's the opposite of what I was going for. Love over law. Love over law. Each year, the Michigan Lawsuit Abuse Watch sponsors a wacky warning label contest. The contest is meant to reveal how lawsuits and concerns about lawsuits have created the need for common sense warnings on products. Here are a few of the past winners. A label on electric shaver reads, never use while sleeping. Okay. This one's fairly obvious. Do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. Here's one uh, for a toy lightsaber, not to be used as a battle device, okay? Here's another notice. Notice, thank you for noticing this new notice. Your noticing has been noted. And finally, everybody loves globes, but they should not be used for navigation. Some of you uh, more mature drivers, okay? That doesn't count as Siri. Um, Now, these are ridiculous, right? And all these lawsuits and warning labels are to avoid lawsuits. There are rules of what to do and what not to do, and they're a bit crazy. I think that many of the, many times in the church, we focus in on the rules. Do this, don't do that, that's okay, but if you do that, that's definitely not okay. The rules is never the best place for us to start as followers of Jesus. Focusing 
form of goals might produce the right behavior, but it doesn't lead to life transformation. There are 613 mitzvot in the scripture. That's 613 commandments, okay? And they're written in the first five books of the Old Testament. 613 laws. Whatever the New Testament writers or Jesus refers to the law, they're referring to these five books, these 613 commandments. And during the time of Jesus, the law and the letter of the law became primary for the Jewish, Jewish people. But in Jesus, something new begins. Look at Romans 7, 5 through 6. It says this, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore the fruit of death. But now, by dying to what we what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Sinful passions aroused by the law, that's what law-based living leads to. In the same passage, Paul talks about how being told not to covet, which is actually one of the Ten Commandments, how that actually made him want to covet all the more. Here are a few more examples of how law-based living fails to inspire us. Um, when you're standing in the elevator, and you close the door, and then it says on a sign, wet paint, do not touch. What do you immediately want to do? Yeah, absolutely. You touch that. When daycare centers began to levy fines on parents for being late for picking up their children, the share of parents that were late increased. When an 18-month-old toddler sees an adult drop something, she will immediately move to pick up and hand it back within five seconds. If you repeat that experiment but reward the toddler, their propensity for kindness The Boston Fire Department had a long-standing policy of unlimited sick days. The firefighters took it when they needed. It was on the honor system. When the department imposed a limit of 15 sick days per year, after which the firefighters were docked pay, guess what happened the following year? You're catching the pattern. It increased tenfold on those who called in sick. You guys remember D.A.R.E.? Okay. Yeah. Where's their slogan? Just say no. Dare ended, okay, because the statistics were overwhelmingly showed that it had no effect on drug use in children and young adults. Last, coming here this morning, you, some of you drove on the freeway, and you saw a little sign that said 65. <laughs> now, you're giggling already, okay, you sinners. <laughs> if you're like me, when you're driving in a car, your goal is to figure out how, how far above the limit I can go without getting in trouble, right? If it's 65, 72, I'm safe, right? Guilty. I'm looking in the crowd, I see two police officers, by the way, who go to our church. I'm just kidding, Derek, okay? I'm just kidding. I always go 65. All these examples highlight one thing. Do's and don'ts, musts and mustn'ts, with the accompanying rewards and punishment, don't make us behave better. It seems that the way of the law diminishes our moral motivation. It doesn't elevate us to loving attentiveness. When I am other-centered, when I am focused, if I'm driving my kids, 
right? I've got Ivy and Dex in the back seat, Sarah sitting shotgun. It is no longer how fast can I go and not get in trouble, but how safe should I drive? What is the safest speed, not the fastest speed I can get away with? See, love gets you thinking in new ways that law never can. The new covenant lifts the law, creating space for love to lead the way. And we're talking about more than driving patterns, right? In the first century, Israel, uh, lifting the law meant undoing of religion. And that kind of teaching can get a man killed. It did. You see in Jesus over and over again, love over law. He heals on the Sabbath. It's a clear violation of the law. The Sabbath is another Ten Commandments works on the Sabbath. He calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. This is one of the Ten Commandments that Jesus breaks repeatedly. Jesus again and again breaks the rules in the name of love. Now, as a parent, I try to get my four-year-old son, Dex, to obey the rules, okay? That's important. And eventually, my five-month-old daughter, I'll be telling her, okay, sis, obey the rules. Obey the rules. It's so important, a day when Ivy starts reading the Gospels um, and learning the stories of Jesus in church. She'll ask me, Dad, why is Jesus the hero of the story, but yet he's always the one breaking the rules and getting into so much trouble? Shouldn't I want to be like Jesus? That means I should break the rules. Now, I have to find a way to explain to her that love must always overcome law. And I'm looking forward to giving her this example. I'll say, all right, baby girl, let's just imagine we did, mommy got you a really pretty dress because there's a wedding coming up and you love that dress. And you ask mom and dad, can I wear this dress please to school? But the wedding's not till Saturday. And we say, no, you might get it dirty. And then you beg us, dad, dad, please let me wear the dress, please. And we say, okay, sis, you can wear that dress if you promise that you don't get it dirty. I can do that, I can do that. Okay, now Ivy, now listen up. That means when other kids are playing at recess, you might not get to play because you would get your dress dirty. Do you think that's a fair rule? And she says, yes, 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 Dad, I promise. I won't get it dirty, I won't get it dirty. And then she goes to school. Set out for school, and on your way to school, she sees one of her friends who had crashed their bike and ended up in a mud puddle. and was crying. What should you do, Ivy? She's going to say, oh, I should help her. And I'll go, Ivy, Daddy's very happy to hear that. It's a really good answer. But in all likelihood, if you help your friend, you're going to get your dress very, very dirty. Uh, do you still think you should do that? Yes, Dad. Helping others is more important than keeping my dress clean. And I said, are you sure? Because what do you think my reaction is going to be when you come home and your dress is all dirty? Just baiting her. I just can't wait. She looks at me and she says, you're going to be happy that I made the right decision. <laughs> yes, I will. Then I'll explain, you know, when Jesus was around, many of the religious people were focusing on the, the dresses being clean. Ivy would then object and say they probably didn't wear dresses back then. <laughs> I digress. Missing the point here. The religious leader of Jesus' day focused in on obeying, obeying the rules and often forgot to put love first. And Jesus came to recalibrate the whole system. Rather than giving us new rules, Jesus took the principles embedded in the law and 
embodied them in a human person. The law now became Jesus. The word became flesh. So the entire life of Jesus, his teachings, his example is God's word to us. So why was the law given if it just made us worse, right? If, if it said, don't do this, why would God give us the law and then it actually makes us worse and makes us have a greater propensity to break the law? What's the point of the law? Galatians 3, check out this passage, says this. Paul asked the same exact question. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian, okay? Focusing on that word, we're gonna get there in a second. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified through faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized, hallelujah, into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Paul says here that the law was our guardian. Other translations might say our tutor or our schoolmaster. Okay, the Greek word is pedagogos. Okay. Pedagogos, sounds like an 80s band. Uh, a tutor, it means tutor, schoolmaster, a guardian, and a guide for boys. Among the, the Greco-Roman culture, it was often for well-to-do families to have a guardian, um, a nanny, if you will, oversee these boys' lives, and they wouldn't go outside or do anything without this tutor, this schoolmaster, this nanny. This is the word that Paul uses to describe the law. The law was our nanny. Verse 24, so the law was our guardian, pedagogos, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. We are no longer under the law because of Jesus. Paul's saying that you can't keep the training wheels on. Those were training wheels. They were, those, the law was your nanny, but you were eventually supposed to do something more. The law was like your leg braces. And you couldn't really walk in them, and they got, tried to get you to go straight. Like metal, bold, you know, leg braces found in Greenbow, Alabama. There's, there's this movie, okay? There's this movie. And, and, and Forrest has these leg braces on. And he's being picked on, and he can't run very fast, and he's walking, and he's trying to run straight. And oh, Jenny, Jenny. Jenny is saying, run, Forrest, run. And Jesus is calling us to do the same thing. You're not under the law. You're not under the rules. You're under grace. You're under love. Some of us have been living under these braces for a long time. And Jesus says, let's run through Greenbow, Alabama. Let's run across the whole country to a shrimp boat with Lieutenant Dan. We were not meant to forever walk with braces on. We were meant to run. Run, Forrest, run. We were not meant to stay under the law. All of these rules and rituals that were described in the Old Testament, that was never the point. It never made you righteous. It never brought abundant life. 
It was meant to be our nanny until the time of Christ. And we are in the time of Jesus. Jesus started something brand new. Law doesn't guide us. Love guides us. The law kept Israel alive, but it didn't give life. There's a difference. The law kept Israel alive. It didn't give life. So do we throw the law out altogether? No, actually, Jesus says that he's the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. We learn the law, we study it so we can better follow Jesus. Look at Galatians 5. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, 613 mitzvot, commandments, can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. And where is that found? It's actually found in Leviticus, smack dab in the middle of the law, all these rules and regulations, we see the heart of God even in Leviticus. Because with Jesus, it's love that rules, not rules. With Jesus, it's love that rules, not rules. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible is less concerned about the do's and don'ts. It, the, Jesus isn't trying to give us another law to obey, but rather the New Testament explicitly says, let me change the way you think. Make your own decisions. And as long as you are thinking Jesusly or lovingly, you'll come to the right conclusion. Um, N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar says this, instead of just laying down a simple take it or leave it rule, Paul wants Christians to think things through for themselves. If you give someone a rule, you may keep someone on track for a day or two, but if you teach them to think Christianly, you'll help them go on making the right decision on their own. For example, you can ask me the question, John, do you hit Sarah? Do you hit your wife, Sarah? Do you beat her up? Well, what do you think the answer is? I hope you don't have to think that long. The answer, of course, is no. But it would be interesting if I told you why. Why don't I hit her? Well, because I've done my homework, and I know that in California, spousal abuse is considered a crime. <laughs> it's a criminal offense. She could press charges. I could be arrested. And frankly, then I'd have to go to jail. And I heard that the food in jail stinks. So I'm a smart enough guy to work my way back from this. Better not hit my wife because the food in jail stinks. You've got the right behavior out of me, right? I'm not hurting my wife, but you have no love. You have self-preservation according to the letter of the law, but there's no love. That's the way of the law. And the way of Christ is not the way of the law. What, the way of Christ is what kind of dynamics should I have in relationship to others? What's the loving way? And if I get that right, the correct behavior will flow out. It's all about love. Look at Romans 13, 8. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Romans 10, 4. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. We didn't have to, to sign a marriage contract that, that gave us the letter of the law and detailed rules for when Sarah and I got hitched. When we got married, there, was, there wasn't a deep contract of all the to-dos. There was a pledge before God and our family and friends till death do us part to choose to love the other. Uh, let's just say I'm hanging out with Stephen, our worship pastor, and we're talking about, you know, hair products or whatever Stephen likes to talk about. And then... <laughs> 
And as we're talking about that, I looked down at my phone and I realized it's 6.30. And I realized that I'm about 30 minutes away from home and Sarah had dinner ready at 6.30. I just got lost in Stephen's blonde locks. And, and so immediately I call Sarah and I say, babe, I'm so sorry. Stephen got carried away. Um, and I'm going to be about 30 minutes late to dinner. Now, when, when, when we got married over 11 years ago, there was no spot on our marriage license that said if one or the other spousal partners is going to be more than 30 minutes late for dinner, you should call them and let them know. We didn't have to do that. Why? Because whatever the other-centered loving action is, is the right move. If you focus in on love, you'll get the right behavior. In marriage, letter of the law, contract, not a big deal. Divorce, letter of the law, really big deal. Percentages, you want everything exactly. That's contract living. We're not under contract. We're under a covenant. A business contract is different. When there is love, there's no need for the law, for love is the fulfillment of the law. Love rules, not rules. So in all of your decisions, as parents, as grandparents, as husbands and wives, as employees, whatever is the other-centered loving choice, that will be the right choice. Some of you have been debating a lot of decisions in your life. Maybe some big decisions. Let me give you a formula that will, that will help. Whatever's the most loving decision is probably the right decision. Try it out. Make a commitment this week. This week, whatever the most loving decision is at work, at home, with our kids, with our grandkids, what, I'm going to make the most loving decision, the other-centered decision. Maybe not the decision that benefits me the most, but certainly the decision that benefits them the most. I'll close with this. Bob and Sue Prunebottom were a few years into their marriage, and Sue felt the need to challenge Bob on their lack of romance. They kind of got in a rut. Gone were the days where he initiated unexpected events and that brought them two together romantically. Now their marriage consisted of a steady diet of predictable rituals, routines, maintained stability. This was understandably not enough for Sue. And so Bob agreed to make a commitment to start making more of an effort. Taking initiative on romancing her. And so one Tuesday evening around 6.30, the doorbell rang, bing bong. And it was Maureen. Maureen was their babysitter. And Sue answers the door and she says, your husband hired me. And then uh, she looked in, the, in her room and there was a beautiful red dress laid out. And she was so taken back. She was so excited. And so uh, she was like, wow, Bob, this is amazing. He goes, put on that dress, honey. She puts on that red dress, takes it to this beautiful Italian restaurant. There's a candle lit with, on a table in the back. And there's a card laying right on the table addressed to Sue. And she opened it, and it was a handwritten note. Not an email, not a text, but an actual pen to paper handwritten note. And then when dessert came, he reached under the table and had a beautiful, stunning single rose, and it was a blue rose, her favorite flower. His thoughtfulness just moved her to tears. Bob thought after this night, how can I make this last? This is amazing. My wife is so into me. 
How can I make this laugh? Next Tuesday night, 6.30, bing bong, sure enough, Maureen shows up. And Sue thought two weeks in a row, Bobby. But she goes, I could get used to this. The lack of creativity a little bit because the red dress was laid out on the bed again. So she put the red dress on and they go and she's like, where are we going to go? And Bob's like, I got you, babe. And they pull up to an Italian restaurant. There's a table in the back with a candle lit and a handwritten note. And she's thinking, well, he's not very good with creativity, originality, but a night out is a night out. She opens up the handwritten note and it's verbatim exactly what it was the week before. And when dessert showed up, he reached under the table, pulled out a beautiful single blue rose. Her delight turned to disappointment. For Sue, the evening went from feeling weird to feeling suffocating. Part of her wanted out. Part of her wanted to give Bob the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps the joke would end soon. The next week, 6.30, bing bong, red dress, Italian restaurant, handwritten note. When dessert came, single blue rose. Sue received it with polite gratitude, but tears that welled up in her eyes were, were different that night. Today, if you were to ask Bob how his marriage is doing, he would probably smile with a sense of accomplishment and say, I romance my wife religiously. He might even boast about finding the secret to a successful relationship and encourage you to follow his healthy system for a successful marriage. If you were to ask Sue how things were going, you'd probably get a different take. Most likely she would burst into tears, tell you she's trapped imprisoned in a loveless relationship by someone who means well, but who doesn't have a sweet clue about what a relationship is all about. In me, I'm left wondering, is this how God feels sometimes with us? Bob mistook the form for the substance. He turned the relationship into a kind of religion of rituals and routines. He lost the heart of his connection to his wife. Love became unnecessary because of Bob's religion. The system Bob created allowed him to function on autopilot, but marriages don't run on autopilot. They crash. And our relationship with Jesus doesn't run on autopilot. It crashes. This is why Jesus always puts the emphasis on teaching heart issues, not behavioral routines. If the heart is right, the religious, the, the, the right action will follow. I'm going to invite Stephen and the band to come up, and we're going to close with this song called Resurrection. And the chorus says, uh, by your spirit I'm alive. And it says, the, the, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. That's what baptism is too, right? Die to ourselves, rise to new life in Christ. Religious people obey God to get things. Status. Gospel people obey God to get God. Even if you look at the life of Joseph, Joseph flees from this tempting moment. And he, as he runs away from this compromising situation, 
He doesn't say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to break this commandment because it says so in the Bible, because I know it's wrong. He says, I don't want to do this. How could I do such a thing and hurt my master and hurt God? The reason Joseph doesn't sleep with Potiphar's wife in Genesis is not because the Bible says don't do that. He doesn't sleep with Potiphar's wife because he knows it damages the relationships on this planet and also hurts our relationship with God. Even the reasons why we don't sin is not because of the rule book. It's because of love. Love is always our motivation. It's not about rituals, routines, religious practices. Those can help us, but we're mistaking the form for the substance. It's about Jesus, who's the fulfillment of the law. And we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. Let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be filled with grace. That that grace would be on the forefront of our mind and being. That we would choose the other-centered action. And for those of us who have just been caught up in religiosity, that we've been a Christian for a long time, and we know this is what you do. You pay your tithes, you show up on Sunday, you don't do the big sins, you smile, you put on your church face. God, I pray for that person, whoever that is in this room, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that the callousness that has uh, covered their heart, that you pierce through it with your Holy Spirit and your scandalous message of love and grace. That we'd be broken once again for the broken in our world. That we would be a people of love, not law. That as we follow your Spirit, we do the right action. Thank you, God, that the resurrected King is resurrecting me. Draw us closer to you and to the world that so desperately needs you. In Jesus' name. Your name, your name is victory. 
the law with love. May we live in that, in you abundantly. In Jesus' name, all God's people said loudly. Amen, 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 amen. amen.